Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. It would have been hard for educators to avoid conversations about mindfulness in their schools over the last few years. Even the government has got involved when it announced mindfulness would be a key part of its mental health trials in schools. My guest today is Dana Carsley from McGill University in Montreal. She has explored how mindfulness can reduce test anxiety after just a 15 minute intervention. Today, we discuss mindfulness, the nature of exam anxiety, and how teachers can address this in their classrooms. Dana, welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I wanted to start off by asking you about mindfulness. It's taken off in a big way in the UK, and I was wondering why you thought it had become so popular. Mm-hmm. Well, mindfulness, it originates from ancient Eastern and Buddhist perspectives as this awareness and attention on the self, on the present moment. But as you mentioned, in the past 30 years, in Western culture, it's it has become much more popular and has been looked at as a particular way of paying attention um, and as a theoretical construct, as a psychological state. But most importantly, and I think why it's become so popular, is people look at it as a practice and a strategy that they can use. And we, when I've conducted my research in this area, I really noticed that mindfulness is both a process and an outcome. And I typically use John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness. He created the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, which so many other programs are based upon today. But um, I use his definition in educational research because it really focuses on an awareness and non-judgmental acceptance of present moment experiences. And a lot of that can be done through different mindfulness types activities, types of activities that are being used in the schools and then also in other types of work environments. So it's something that we're seeing that's accessible and also quite effective. And I think that's why it's being used so much today and we keep hearing about it. So essentially the nature of the practice, which is just to kind of live in the present moment, makes it easy for anybody to use and to access. And and that might be behind its rise to its popularity now. Yes, absolutely. So do you think how easy it is to practice means that some people do this well and some people do it less effectively? Mm -hmm. Well, I really like whenever um, I'm showing somebody or about mindfulness or introducing mindfulness, I really want to emphasize how it's like an attention muscle. The more you do it, the stronger you become and the more effective it can be. So it's something that you would really need to practice over time. And some people um, are more dispositionally mindful, so they have a general tendency to be mindful and experience benefits of mindfulness more easily than other people who maybe have lower dispositional mindfulness. So it is something that uh, can be easier for some more than others, but also something that you can continue to build and it's a skill that you can get better at over time. Okay, so there's almost two different kinds of mindfulness we can consider. The state mindfulness, which is how mindful you're feeling in that exact moment, and trait mindfulness, which is something that is how mindful we are at all times, kind of throughout our day and in our thinking. Yes, absolutely. 
So Dana, the other area that your research explored was exam anxiety. What made you interested in this area? Right. So because of my background in education as a teacher, one thing that I was really interested in looking at was test anxiety from seeing it in the classroom and finding ways to support students that may have test anxiety and other mental health issues because test anxiety affects one third of elementary, high school and university students. And it's associated with other types of anxiety disorders as well as other um, negative consequences like dropout or grade retention. And so that's why I wanted to look at something that we can target and a lot of students can benefit from. And you can use it as primary prevention rather than just secondary prevention. Okay, so it's something that you saw a lot of when you were a teacher and you saw that it doesn't just affect exam anxiety, it can seep into other areas. And so this felt like a really powerful place where you could do prevention rather than just responsive to anxiety once it's been identified. Mm-hmm. And what do we know about its onset and development throughout a young person's life? Yep, so the onset could be early. It could be as early as age seven. And it's given the rise in testing requirements in schools, especially in North America, uh, it has been shown to increase as students progress through school. So it's something that you want to target as early as you can, but then also maintain throughout uh, students' educational experience. Okay, so we've already discussed how it's a major issue in schools and it can get worse throughout a child's lifetime. So what interventions are there out there for schools to help address um, this issue in their students? Right, so when I decided to look for interventions for test anxiety, a lot of the existing ones were lengthier, so it would take up, you know, a lot of sessions would be multiple times. It would include a lot of different components um, as part of them. And that is really difficult when you look at, at a teacher in the classroom who has limited resources for you know, additional material, um, doesn't necessarily have enough time to integrate these lengthy interventions. So that's why I really focused on just looking at mindfulness interventions for test anxiety and then mindfulness art in particular, because it is something that's so accessible and easy to implement. So there are a wealth of different mindfulness activities out there and your study focused particularly on art-based mindfulness. Can you explain a little bit why you decided to look at this area? Right. So what we've been seeing a lot in the literature, there's a lot of different activities that are associated with mindfulness, whether it's a sitting meditation, which is probably one of the most common that you would think of, or a body scan, or you can do a mindfulness eating exercise. And so when I was researching different mindfulness activities and looking at something to use for test anxiety, I came across coloring of structured mandalas. And it was studied as a mindfulness activity compared to other just free coloring activities, given the fact that you're able to engage in the coloring activity and direct your attention and awareness of your experience. So similar to other types of activities that have those mindfulness components, like the focused awareness and attention and acceptance of experience. And in terms of mindfulness for children, how do you think art-based mindfulness makes it more accessible? Right. That was, that was, given the fact that I'm an elementary school teacher, that was something that I was really interested in also because you want, it can be really challenging for not only for children, but also for beginners to engage in a sitting meditation, having never experienced mindfulness before or done it before, and it's completely new to them. So I wanted to find a way that it was something that didn't require a lot of resources, that a teacher can easily implement, that a student can even do on their own and figure out how that type of mindfulness-based activity can be effective but also extremely accessible to them. 
Yes, because I guess with other mindfulness-based activities where children are in silent meditation, it's difficult to know whether they are actually sitting with their thoughts um, and engaging at that level of mindfulness. Yes, exactly. And, and we saw that they actually, they are effective. So uh, and it, it's not even the, the mandala that ended up being the most effective. It was the free coloring can have mindfulness components as well. So it's a really good, simple way of doing mindfulness that's, except, like I said, accessible to, to almost anyone. So you began to touch on it there, but what were your studies looking at? So I had found some other studies. I think there were about two, one by Curry and Kasser, and then a replication by Van Der Vendt and Cerise that had looked at that and found that coloring these circular shapes, the intricate shapes within the circles, was found to be associated with reduced anxiety in university students. So I wanted to look at that for test anxiety in particular, so before a test with elementary students elementary school students originally. And so that's what I did. I compared the effectiveness of coloring in the structured mandala, a mindfulness-based coloring activity, compared to a free coloring activity with elementary school students and assessed their states of test anxiety before and after the 15-minute intervention to see if there was a difference. And what I did find in that original study was that actually both activities were significantly effective in terms of reducing the student's state of test anxiety. But the boys actually benefited more from the free coloring activity that kind of called into question okay what is it that's contributing to the effectiveness of this activity is it is there a gender difference is it maybe a dispositional mindfulness component which i i mentioned earlier or is it something to do with development and developmental periods so given that information i wanted to look at that more broadly and conducted three more studies investigating all those factors that maybe contribute to the effectiveness of that this activity and to see is this how is this a mindfulness activity is it measure is it is mindfulness changing as a result of participating in it as well and so that's kind of the bigger picture that that little study grew into Okay, so this must have been really quite exciting, finding that the free colouring or the mandala colouring was reducing test anxiety for these children. And so your next set of studies were really looking at what was going on behind this. Um, was it that these children were kind of more mindful in general? Was it to do with gender, as you said? Or was it maybe mindfulness wasn't the um, key ingredient in this? And so what did your next studies find out? So... Um... Yeah, so I conducted those studies with elementary, high school, and university students with larger samples within each. And I did the elementary, the second elementary, and then the high school study around the same time before doing the university study. And students were randomly assigned to a mandala coloring condition or free coloring condition. And their state of test anxiety was assessed before and after participating in the coloring activities, as well as their state of mindfulness before and after and their dispositional mindfulness was assessed as well and in both of those cases overall there were significant effects on the mandala coloring activity for test anxiety reducing test anxiety and increasing state mindfulness as well as the free coloring activity the gender difference that i had initially found in that first elementary study did not come up in this one but there was a gender difference in the high school study such that females actually uh, benefited more from the free coloring. Okay, so in these three studies, you found that again, the free and the structured mindfulness activities reduced test anxiety, but this time you found that girls actually did better with the free coloring activity when they were a little bit older in the adolescent age group. So what do you think influenced these results? What is behind them? Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of factors may have influenced the findings that were a little bit different. And I think one of them, which I don't know for sure, but just from my own experience when I did the studies, that very first one that I had conducted, I think it was in 2015 with elementary school students, mindfulness was kind of coming about in the schools in, in which I've worked in or that I've done, conducted research in. And mandalas were something that was not familiar to the students or the teachers mm. at all. Like they hadn't seen them at all. And then in the year that passed before conducting the following studies, they became much more popular. And I think there was that rise in adult coloring books where everybody was more exposed to coloring for anti-stress, anti-anxiety. And even when I went in and conducted data collection, I noticed that mandalas were, were hung up in the classroom. So their experience with it was different. And it's possible that engaging in that repeated practice may have influenced their ability to do the skill or expertise and so on. But anyway, given that I was finding that both activities overall were significantly effective in elementary and then high school and university, I decided to add a third non-coloring control group to see what the effects were. And it was just a simple word number association activity, nothing to do with coloring. And what I did find was that both the mandala and the free coloring were associated with significant decreases in test anxiety and significant increases in state mindfulness, whereas students who participated in the non-coloring control condition did not show this change. In fact, they showed a significant increase in test anxiety and no change for state mindfulness. So for the first time, we were seeing that these two coloring activities were more effective in terms of test anxiety and state mindfulness than engaging in another type of activity. So that's fascinating. In the last study, it showed that these mindfulness activities, free colouring or structured colouring, had an re effect reducing anxiety, which another focused activity didn't have at all. Exactly, because at first I started to wonder, is it just the passage of time, you know, the testing effect? And then you're finally seeing that, no, there's more to it. Yeah. And I was really fascinated to read in one of your studies that boys seem to approach the colouring task a little differently. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Of course. So as I mentioned when describing the mandala, uh, the students are asked to colour in the intricate shapes in the design because it's all these different shapes within it. And a lot of the boys in that very first elementary study coloured over the shapes rather than colouring them in. And one of the reasons that that could have happened is, in fact, boys fine motor development lags behind females, especially during that, that developmental period. So that's why I wanted to look at development later on, because it's possible that coloring in the intricate shapes of the mandala may have been challenging for them, and maybe that's why they liked free coloring a little bit more or reported uh, significant benefits following uh, free coloring. Okay, so it's suggesting that the developmental stage of the child affects which mindful activity they prefer. And did you find any other effects of age in the study? Yep. So the youngest age was students in grades four, five, and six. So it could be anywhere from nine to 12. And then it, I did in high school with adolescents, so around 14 years old. And then and with university students, and I think the mean age was early 20s. And what, what I saw was that it was effective in in all the different developmental periods. And I don't think that one was necessarily better than the other because overall, regardless of the gender difference, they were significantly effective in terms of that coloring in the act, either of the activities was significant in reducing test anxiety and increasing state mindfulness. So that's one of the great things about it is the original studies, which I had based all my research off of, only used it in university uh, mm. students. So I wanted to see, is it something that's effective with elementary, with high school, can we use it 
throughout development and, and the, my research shows that, you know, it can be effective in all those developmental periods and not only can teachers implement it in their classrooms, but it's something that students can easily do on their own. And it was only 15 minutes that the children did the mindful colouring for. Exactly, only 15 minutes. I was also wondering, were there any individual differences which made it more or less effective? Well, I looked at the role of dispositional mindfulness in, in the studies, in all three of them, to see if that maybe influenced students' uh, test anxiety and state mindfulness responses. And in the elementary study, I actually found a ceiling effect. So students that came into the study with high dispositional mindfulness also reported high pre-intervention state mindfulness. So they didn't show many changes uh, in their state mindfulness because they were already entering the intervention with a high level. So if you already experience a high level of dispositional mindfulness, then your state mindfulness before you even do anything is already high, so you can't increase. Mm-hmm. Um, for, so for those students weren't able to show increases in state mindfulness, unlike students who had low state mindfulness going in. And I looked at that throughout the studies. And essentially, the takeaway message here in, in terms of just the mindfulness research is essentially, as, as educators, we want all students to be able to benefit from the intervention that we're giving them, whether it's test anxiety or mindfulness or anything else. So it's really important that we find ways to measure enhancing or deepening of mindfulness states for students who already maintain that general tendency to be mindful prior to going into the intervention. Okay, so those people we spoke about right at the beginning of the interview who have really high mindfulness kind of at all times, they benefited from the intervention the least because they already had very high mindfulness before before you started. Exactly, because as I said, overall there are significant effects when we look at the group as a whole, but when we look more closely at the role of dispositional mindfulness, it just brought up the point that, okay, there are some students who are entering the intervention with already a high mindfulness, a high dispositional mindfulness, a high state mindfulness, mindfulness, maybe a low test anxiety too. And we want to ensure that they can experience the benefits. So that's something that I think future research should really look into when measuring mindfulness, because it is a tricky thing to to define and to measure. So your studies didn't look at this, but do you think that if we were doing these structured colouring or free colouring activities every day, that would have an effect on the dispositional mindfulness of our students? I think that would be really interesting to look at. What we know from the research is that Uh, there is a relationship between dispositional mindfulness and the ability to experience state mindfulness. So I think that would be very interesting to look at. Another thing that I would be particularly interested in looking at is um, to test this in an ecologically valid setting, because of course it was a study with a controlled setting. So I'd want to look at that and see the effect of it. But yes, as you mentioned, is mindfulness coloring consistently effective over time? Can it enhance dispositional mindfulness over time? Because we already see that there's a, a benefit after these 15 minutes but what if it was something more consistent and long term yeah and so do you think teachers can just pick up this study and um, put it into their own classroom do you think it's going to translate into any classroom setting I, I think it's definitely worth trying whenever I, I design a study or I, I think I participate in a research initiative that for educational settings, I always think about the teacher in the classroom and the reality of the setting. So I, I'm hopeful that teachers will use an activity like this one because it has shown to has been shown to be effective. 
So if there was kind of one thing you would want teachers and educators to take away from your study, what would it be? If there was one thing for educators uh, I would want to take away from this study, or I would recommend to them, is that being an, an educator myself and having experience working with students, I realized how how difficult it is to, you know, to include additional things into your curriculum because of the demands that are already placed on teachers in the classroom, whether it is the curriculum or the stuff that, or academics or everything that you already have to do. But how, but I know that a lot of educators want to support and enhance the mental health and well-being of their students. And through studies like this one and a lot of the other mindfulness research that's going on right now, it doesn't need to be something that you're doing for an hour a day or 20 minutes, five times a week. It can be as simple as providing students with opportunities to color in a mandala or engage in free coloring or other brief mindfulness activities that are out there. And it's something that you can really incorporate into your schedule. And it doesn't take a lot of time or resources or additional demands. There's creative ways of enhancing your, or supporting your students and, and finding ways to enhance their well-being yeah. that are available to you. So the take-home message is really that you can do one session of mindfulness and that can make a significant difference right there and then in how children think and feel. Dana, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, you can leave a review, subscribe and follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum. And if you'd like to get involved, you can email us on the emotional curriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.